two years ago, investigative reporter Cheryl Atkinson researched the origin of the increasingly popular term fake news. And she found that the term was first used by a nonprofit political organization that was funded by Google's uh, parent company, Alphabet. The CEO of, of uh, that company at the time was a guy by the name of Eric Schmidt. And he happened to be um, a campaign strategist and donor for Hillary Clinton in 2016 when this term started to pop up. And the, uh, that term, fake news, uh, was meant to be a way for left-leaning journalists to uh, sort of disparage and label right-leaning news articles and journalists. But then a funny thing happened. The term fake news became the victim of a hostile takeover. And that phrase was co-opted by Donald Trump. And he turned the phrase against the people who created it. And the takeover was so complete that the Washington Post actually had an editorial saying that it was time to retire the phrase fake news. But Donald Trump didn't obey the Post's marching orders. And so now fake news, that terminology has changed. And it means essentially it's, it refers to biased reporting against conservatives. Now, today I'm not going to preach a political sermon. Uh, we're not going to talk about politics, but I do want to talk about the difference between fake and real Christians. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven who will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, according to Jesus in that passage, there seems to be a difference between what you say and what you do. And this seems to indicate also, this little passage that I just read, it seems to indicate that there are some people that are deceiving themselves into thinking that they are believers. And they may be in for a very shocking discovery on the Day of Judgment, that they've been fake Christians. Have you ever considered the possibility that you might be a fake Christian? I want you to consider that possibility. Because I would rather you today come to an understanding that your faith has not been real than for you to finally realize it on the day of judgment. Jesus told us what it will be like on the day of judgment. He said that there will be some very religious people standing before him. These are his words right here. He will say to many people on that day, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't care for me. And Jesus told us what will happen next. He said in very vivid language that the angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them, the evil people, into the blazing furnace, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. Wouldn't it be better for you to discover today that your faith in Christ is not real than to find that out on the day of judgment? Because on that day, it will be too late. Jesus talked about this idea of it being too late. He said in the Gospel of Luke, as you are walking with your adversary to the ruler, meaning to the judge, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you in the prison. I tell you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the last cent. It's a serious thing, perhaps the most serious thing that we could consider, whether our faith in Christ is genuine. Now, how do we know? How do we know that our faith in Christ is real? Sometimes I'll, I'll ask people about the, their assurance of salvation, or people might even come to me and say, I, I don't know. I don't know if my faith in Jesus is real. I, I don't seem to have assurance of salvation. Sometimes people will say, you know, I, I just don't think anyone can know for absolute uh, reality whether their faith in Christ is real. I don't think you could know, they say, whether you're really going to heaven or not. But that's not what Scripture says. The Bible says that you can be sure. You don't have to guess. You don't have to suppose that your faith in Christ is genuine. You can know with certainty. And the Bible talks about this in the book of James, chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of James, chapter 2. James is found near the back of your, your Bible, just past the book of Hebrews. In James, chapter 2, we will read verses 14 through 26. And I'm going to ask, if you would, to stand with me, please, as we honor the reading of God's Word. James, chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, and I'll read aloud. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Heavenly Father, give us a clear understanding of this passage. For our eternity may depend upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
during World War II, England, as you know, requested the help of the United States to defeat Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany. And the wartime chief of the Army Air Force Bomber Command in Europe was a Texan, a lieutenant general named Ira Eaker. And when he arrived in England, a formal dinner was held to honor him and his staff, and the chief speaker at that dinner was the mayor of the village where General Eaker's headquarters was located. And the mayor at that dinner proceeded at considerable length to talk about the virtues of the Americans and what great debt England owed America. And then he called on this humble Texan to get up and say a few words. Well, General Eaker got up and cleared his throat. He was sort of embarrassed at all the laudatory words that were used on his behalf and on behalf of all the troops there. And he finally said, well, until we've done some fighting, I'm not going to do any talking. When we're gone, I hope you'll be glad we came. That's all he said, and he sat down to thunderous applause. You see, General Eaker understood something that you and I need to grasp. What you say about yourself doesn't matter. It's what you do that matters. Again, in this passage beginning in verse 14, I'm going to read about four verses again, but I'm going to read it with a certain type of emphasis. I want you to pay close attention. James writes, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give, than what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. There is a distinction between saying and doing. In fact, we studied a few weeks ago, James chapter 1, verse 22. It clearly says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You see, what you say about your faith in Christ really doesn't matter if you don't have the works to back it up. Because you can fool me. You can fool this preacher. You can fool other Christians. You can pull the wool over everyone's eyes and pretend that you're something that you're really not. But you can't fool God. God knows. God knows it all, and you cannot fool Him. You could even fool yourself. You see, what matters is the doing. Do you have the actions to back up the words? Some of you might say, well, you know, I I prove my faith by supporting my church financially. I want to be very clear here, and I want to say something that I probably don't say enough. I want to say thank you. When you support this church financially, it enables all of us to do a work together that we cannot do individually. And I want to say thank you to your faithful gifts, even if you think, well, my gifts are small. Look, 
your small gift and my small gift and someone else's small gift, it adds up. And we can do some good things trying to advance the kingdom of God. But I want to be very clear about this. Your giving to the church, even your faithful giving to the church, does not prove your faith. Jesus told about a self-righteous Pharisee who stood at the front of the tabernacle and he prayed out loud to himself. And one of the things he prayed was, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that dirty sinner back there. And then he said, I tithe everything that I get. That means that 10% of all of his crops at harvest time he would give to the Lord. He was very faithful in that. Very faithful in that, according to his own testimony. But he was lost. It was the man who's at the back of the sanctuary, back of the tabernacle, who was beating his chest, fall on his, falling on his knees, and prayed privately to the Lord, have mercy on me. It was that man who walked away, righteous before God, Giving money is not a proof of your salvation. The lesson there is there better be more than that. If I were to ask you what's the evidence that you're a Christian, there better be more evidence than that. You see, a genuine faith will be accompanied by works. There better be a love for God and a selfless love of others, as James even talked about here. A selfless love for others well, we'll say not only to the person, be warmed and be filled, but we'll do something about it to the brother who is in need. Verse 18, we continue. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Think, think about what James says. Show me your faith without the works. That's impossible. Why? Faith is invisible. Faith is an invisible spiritual covenant between you and God. You can't see it. You can't see faith any more than you can see God himself. But you can see the evidence. You can see the works that comes from a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without works, I can't see your faith. The only way I can see your faith is by your works and your actions always reveal what's in your heart. Always. Someone might say, well, what about my belief system? I mean, I believe this Bible. All the way through, all 66 books. I even believe the maps in the back. I believe that I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I have good theology. I have good doctrine. Doesn't that prove my faith in Christ? No. The demons have good theology, James says. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. You see, demons believe that there's a God. Demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus even had conversations with demons who spilled the beans when he didn't want the beans spilled about him being the Son of God. Demons believe that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. They know it. That's why they're scared of him. Having Bible information up here 
doesn't mean you're saved. Do you have a heart that follows the Lord Jesus Christ, that believes, that trusts in Jesus alone to save you? That determines whether you're saved. And when you have a personal trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you, there will soon be evidence of your faith. Verse 20, James says, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? This idea of having faith accompanied by works is nothing new. It goes far, as far back as Abraham. James talks about Abraham in verses 21 through 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, you know that we have a apparent problem here. And the problem we're going to examine closely. The problem is because of Romans chapter 3, verse 28. In Romans 3, 28, the Apostle Paul says, a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. James in this verse says, A man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So who's right? Is it James who says you're justified by faith plus works? Or is it Paul who says you're justified by faith apart? From works. Skeptics look at these two verses side by side and they say, well, that just proves the Bible's not true. It's just a contradiction, a flat out contradiction here. But the problem is they're not looking closely enough. There's not a contradiction here. You see, James and Paul are using the same word, justify, in two different ways. They're related, but they're different. And I'll explain just exactly how. But let me, let me share with you this idea of how words can be used in different ways. Let's suppose that tomorrow morning I get up early and I'm going to make me some French toast. Okay. And so I get out the bread and I get out the butter and I get out the eggs and I'm going to make me some French toast. And I cook those eggs just perfect and I warm up the syrup and the in the microwave, and I get out, and I get out the real butter, not the not the margarine stuff. I mean, straight from the cow butter, good butter, you know. And so I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this wonderful breakfast for myself. And I get it all ready. And the last thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to take some powdered sugar, and I'm going to dust that powdered sugar on my French toast. But then there's a problem. Problem is, I got a little bit of powdered sugar on the counter. So I get a little hand broom and I dust the powdered sugar off the counter. In the first instance, to dust means to add fine particles to 
the French toast. And the second, it means to take it away. You see, even in English, we have these things called contronyms. Same word. Context determines the meaning. James and Paul use the same word, justify, in two different ways. Well, how do we know how, how it is? How do we know what, what they're talking about? Well, they tell us. You see, they both point to this guy, Abraham. And when Paul is talking about Abraham in, Gen in uh, Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4, he's talking about Genesis 15, way back when, when Abraham got saved. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. You see, let me show you a, a couple of slides. Put that first column up there. In Genesis 15, it may be difficult for you to read, but in Genesis 15, Abraham was somewhere between the ages of 75 and 86, and God made a promise to him. God's promise was this, essentially. You will have kids, and your offspring will be numerous. How did Abraham respond? He believed it. He believed what God said. And when Abraham believed God, Abraham was made right with God. He was justified before God. And so in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, thousands of years later, he's writing in the book of Romans and he draws this conclusion. A man is justified apart from works of the law. The law hadn't even been given to Moses yet. Not when Abraham was around. That would be hundreds of years after Abraham. Abraham was made right before God without the Ten Commandments even being around. That's Paul's point. You're justified apart from works. You're made right with God apart from works. That means for us, salvation comes to us without any of our own works attached to it. It is completely the work of God. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, to be justified means to be acquitted. It means to be declared righteous. God declares you right when you believe in Christ. It is that simple. When you trust personally Christ alone to save you, God declares you righteous. And it happens apart from you doing any good works on your own. There's nothing that you can add to the cross that can merit your salvation. That's what Paul is talking about. So justified to Paul means to be declared right. But to James, the same word means to be proven right. Because that's not the end of Abraham's story. Abraham, in Genesis 15, believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. He was justified. Years later, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, is 106 years old. And God tells him something completely different. By this point, Abraham has a son with his wife, whose name is Isaac. And it is through Isaac that Abraham will have multiple offspring. But in Genesis 22, God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. 
to me. This is an obvious problem. Because if Abraham kills his son, how is God going to fulfill his promise? Abraham has a crisis. Does he obey God when the, when the results might be disastrous? Or does he disobey God? Abraham chooses to obey God. And Abraham, in his willingness to obey God, took Isaac up on a mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. But before Abraham plunged that knife into his son, God stopped him. And God said to him, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham, in Genesis 22, proved the faith that he had in Genesis 15. And that is the sense in which James talks about being justified. James draws this conclusion in verse 22 of the second chapter. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Romans 3 and James 2 are not in conflict. Romans 3 teaches that you become right with God by your faith in Christ, apart from works. And James 2 says, you prove your faith in God by your works. There's no conflict there. James gives us another example about the importance of works. When he talks about Rahab, the prostitute, verse 25, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? You probably know the story. Israel was about to invade the land that God had promised to them. And the first town that Israel had to take was a town, a city called Jericho. And so Joshua sent spies to check it out. And there they met Rahab, who was a prostitute. Now, even though Rahab was a prostitute, she believed what God had said. She believed in God. And she proved her belief by helping the spies the same thing with Abraham. He proved his belief by obeying God. Rahab proved her belief by helping the spies. She proved her faith with her actions. Verse 26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. If you say you have a faith in Jesus Christ, but there's no evidence in your life to back it up. Your faith is a corpse. It's dead. There's nothing there. Today, I want to ask you to examine yourself to see if you're saved. Because every week, every week, I preach to two types of people. Those who are truly saved, and those who are lost, you are one or the other. It can only be one or the other. Either you know the Lord Jesus Christ, He is your personal Lord and Savior, or you don't. It doesn't matter how much you go to church. It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how much you fool anybody else. 
you're not right with the Lord, you're not right with the Lord. You've got to be saved. Jesus said, you must be born again. Do you know who he said it to? Nicodemus, who Jesus called the teacher of Israel, a highly religious man who asked an honest question to Jesus. How can I enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus said, you must be born again. If you have never truly been born again, you need to come to the Lord today. If you say that you're saved, that's good. But can you back it up? Think of it this way. If a trial was held, and everything that you did in this life was presented as evidence, what would the evidence show? Would the evidence show that this man or this woman, this boy or this girl has faith in Jesus Christ? Or would the jury find you guilty? Find you without faith in the Lord? If you're ready today to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, this invitation is for you.